There are a few places in the material world as you know it that overlap just a little bit with the astral realm. And I'm on my way to one of them. It's a, it's a little known place called Ohio. I'm super thrilled to be meeting with the person I'm meeting with today. And they gave me directions uh, to a structure that I'm going to meet them inside of. But I'm a little nervous because I, I, I frankly don't know a lot about this place. And I, I kept an eye on it from afar for a while. But it's just, it's above my pay grade. But I am nothing if not persistent for the content. And so, dear listener, welcome to episode 10 of Podcast from a Desk in the Astral Realm. Hello there, and welcome. Uh, I am here with Lehman Kessler, Ohio's foremost impersonator of HP Lovecraft. Thank you so much for joining me here in the realm. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, and I, I appreciate you uh, finding your way through the infinite gazebo to meet me. It's a uh, it's a hard place to you know navigate, but once you uh, once you're here, you're home. I, I, you know, I, I've always heard good things about the Infinite Gazebo, and I, I was, I was excited when they started building it. But then they just kind of kept bringing in material, and then they kept bringing in more material, and it kept growing. I didn't realize, like when I went to the original town hall meeting for it, that it was going to be infinite. But well, you know, is, this is Ohio, and so we take our uh, unending construction projects very seriously. And it's a, you know, it's jobs creation is really what it's about. So infinite jobs creation. Precisely. That's good in in many <laughs> different dimensions too. Well, yeah. So let's 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 talk about that. So uh, if you are not familiar, uh, dear dear listener, Lehman is a a, a multifaceted person. He is a, a literal mayor. Uh, he he is a Lovecraft impersonator, actor, podcaster, YouTuber, a whole lot of hats going on. We, we've got plenty to talk about here, but the, the the thing that I want to get up front, get out of the way, is why Lovecraft. Tell, tell me the tell me the story there. Sure. So I got into Lovecraft fairly late in life. I've I've found over the years that most folks who are really into Lovecraft, you know, imprint on him in high school or adolescence somehow. Sure. You know, your your uncle hands you a you know kind of a yellowed used copy of you know collections of short stories, or you know you you come across something in a library. You know, folks to often have a very kind of intimate connection with Lovecraft, and he he gets his hooks in fairly fairly early and fairly young. But I did not start reading Lovecraft until my mid twenties. I, I was aware of of Lovecraft elements just being in general geek spheres. Uh, I knew Call of Cthulhu through the role playing game. I knew the Servants of Cthulhu through the old Steve Jackson Illuminati card game. Lots of Cthulhu, yeah. And you know, so and I was just vaguely aware of just Lovecraft as as one of these figures, right? Like Clive Barker, Stephen King. You know, mm -hmm. just folks you know who are out there. Even if you don't read them, their names are familiar. And then I was working at a bookstore and I, we just had tons of Lovecraft. And I thought, you know what, you know, folks have been telling me that I need to read him for years and I could just take it. I can read him on my break. I'll see what it's all about. And I was like, okay, I get it. It's, it's, it's you know, you, you see, okay, that's where this cliche is from. That's where this sort of, you know, trope or element to that I've, I've read a dozen times. This is where it started or at least, you know, perfected, what have you. And that was that. But then I was uh, at a different bookstore. I a friend of mine who I had done a play with, he had written a play set in a LARPing convention, and I had done that for the Toronto Fringe. He was interested in doing something, another project, and I had turned him on to the existence of Lovecraft's marriage, which is something that is not widely known outside of sort of Lovecraft fandom, but Lovecraft was briefly married. And not only that, he was briefly married to a Jewish-Ukrainian immigrant like hat merchant. And whoa, if you, oh, whoa, okay. If you, yeah. If you know much, if you know anything about Lovecraft, uh, usually you know a lot about his bigotry, his xenophobia, his nativism. And so this was a very, 
bizarre little factoid uh, that, you know, not only was he married, because I think a lot of folks sort of, you know, when they think of Lovecraft, they think of him as kind of this uh, shut in sexless entity. Uh, but that he was married to this incredibly vivacious woman, Sonia Green, who, you know, was a writer herself and, you know, was a very ambitious woman. Uh, you know, so I, I told my friend about this marriage and this relationship, and that kind of, you know, incepted him to write a short play called Monstrous Invisible, which was about their marriage. And I was in the first production of that with my theater company in Toronto, Monkey Man Productions. It was about like a 10, 15 minute, very short, you know, not quite a one act. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. And it was it was the sweet little kind of a bouche of, you know, dark horror theater. And a year later, he expanded it into a longer play, more of a one act, like half an hour or so. And I came back and, and performed in that uh, in, uh, in Hamilton, Ontario, as part of the Pearl Festival. And it was it was a lot of fun. It was just there was this very interesting character to portray and to kind of get into the the, the mindset of. And I. Uh, a little while later, a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours who had seen the play was going to be doing a, a series of reviews of like Lovecraft movies and books and games. And he thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun if I have Lovecraft show up in my kitchen and offer color commentary about, you know, uh, the laundry files or about um, to, to cast a deadly spell and things like that. And so I, I, you know, I got my suit back out and made my bug eyes and whatnot <laughs> and, and you know, that was, you know, sort of partially scripted, a little bit improv and it was just fun. And I was like, you know what, this is a fun character to, to inhabit and to play. And, you know, I, I, I'm one of these guys who kind of bounces around lots of different internet projects and creative projects. And, you know, I, I had created a YouTube account so that I could do Christopher Walken impersonations and I As had, you do. and, you know, was, was doing lots of little different things. And I thought, okay, well, what if I, what if I do a Lovecraft show? And I was a huge fan, still am, of the my my brother, my brother, my, and me comedic advice podcast. And so I'm like, what if I do Lovecraft giving really questionable advice? Like, you know, get questions from folks and answer them as Lovecraft. And like, there's there's some comedy potential in that. And for ten years, that's what I did. I I would get up and dress up as Lovecraft, and you know, stand in front of my camera uh, three times a week. <laughs> And uh, put out these these short little uh, you know dear dear Lovecraft you know uh, I'm having problems with my girlfriend what should I do uh, dear H.P. Lovecraft what do you think about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise and it was <laughs> they're really they're really pressing questions yeah oh, oh, so much of it was 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 pop culture related and and that was fascinating right because there is this this weird like you know. And within fandom, there's this like mm -hmm. this desire to kind of like show off your collection and be like, well, what what do you think? Like, what do you do? You like this? Do you like the thing that I like? Um, it got really like you know there were a lot of like, what do you think about this obscure anime? And I'm like, I'm not I'm not gonna go shell out like two hundred dollars to find some like OAV that I then can like you know do a two minute <laughs> bit about. Uh, sorry, friend. Uh, I Lovecraft's did takes on obscure anime does sound really good, though. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. The best, most obscure thing I did was someone asked my uh, Lovecraft's opinion on the German animated noir Felly Day, which is all about cats. And it's like a cat murder mystery noir. And okay. Okay. it's I'm here very for it. adult and very German. There's like like once like a nightmare sequence that was all about like Grigor Mendelev. Like it's so just it's, it's unapologetic. It's like, it's like a weird mix between like secret of Nim and watership down. Like it's, it's just in its own sort of strange world. Uh, and I absolutely, cause Lovecraft famously love cats. So, you know, it was like, you know what? I kind of, okay, this is on YouTube. I don't have to spend any money on this. I'm going to actually watch this thing. And dear Lord, it was, it was amazing. It was so good and so nightmarish and fit with like the tone of Lovecraft. And that was, I mean, that was part of the fun of the show was getting to kind of discover weird little gems like that, that I never would have otherwise. And you know, and, and as the show grew in popularity, I began to get invited out to conventions. Uh, I, I did Ask Lovecraft Live, which was a ton of fun because you're just, you're, it's like being in a saloon and people are shooting at your feet to dance. Like you're just getting peppered with questions and you have to come up with an answer on the top of your dome. And, you know, I have an improv background. So that was, that was able to kind of flex those muscles and, and play in that space again. And then uh, my absolute career high would uh, have been when I was invited to go perform for George R. R. Martin in his theater. In really? The and like have him 
like just tell me all about his Call of Cthulhu characters, and because you know that's that's what you do. That, okay, wait, wait, hold on. Let's back. Let's 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 zoom in on that a little bit. You just you you ended there real quick on <laughs> I performed for George R. R. Martin and talked to him about his Call of the Cthulhu characters. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. So I was uh, just kind of puttering about, and I got a Facebook message which was like the most laser perfect uh, phishing scam. Just like, hello, I represent uh, George R. R. Martin and I work for him and we're interested in having you come perform. And I'm like, okay, this person obviously wants my social insurance mm-hmm. number and they've done, they've done their enough homework, but I'm going to like, I'm like, I'm going to take the bait just because on the off chance. And sure enough, it was absolutely legit. <laughs> and I wound up, yeah, I, I, I wound up going out. I got, I got to go out there twice uh, and perform and uh, deal with the um, uh, elevation sickness, which was uh, a ton of fun in uh, Wait, New Mexico. So you, you went to George R. R. Martin's <laughs> he has house? This, uh, or? This, no, he, so he, there's this uh, old, like classic cinema in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the Jean Cocteau Cinema. And at some point, George R. R. Martin bought it. And to like, I think, keep it from getting bulldozed over mm. and, you know, uses it for a ton of art house cinema and also for live shows. And I think they were just looking for kind of fun, quirky live shows. And they, they decided to, to to bring in this pasty guy from Ohio to pretend to be H.P. Lovecraft. That's that's actually amazing, though. It was Melinda Snodgrass, uh, who uh, worked with George R. R. Martin on the Wildcard series and wrote for Star Trek Next Generation was there. So I got to like hang out with her and and just sort of tour around and it was uh that was a like i said an absolute absolute career career moment for me you know so i was you know I, I i still did lovecraft for a few years later but that was uh i could have retired then and and been very satisfied i'm very glad we started with that because that just went in so many more directions than i was expecting <laughs> it to like as you said i'm covered in facets that's why i have to be in the infinite gazebo to contain all the all the just the the mini-sidedness yeah, I mean, well, it's 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 neatly nestled right above the infinite mirror funhouse. So, you know, <laughs> fitting and 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 the, the proximity really helps sell the illusion. Uh that's that is sick. <laughs> that is legitimately awesome. That was an excellent story. Um so we've we we just got a quick glimpse into sort of your your arc over here. And and you mentioned that you have a background in um, improv, and um, I believe you have a degree or background in um, performing arts. Yeah, so I was a drama major um, uh, here at Kenyon College here in Gambier, Ohio, where I, I went to college and then came back a decade later and became mayor, which is a, a strange you arc. Came, came back a decade later and asserted dominance. <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, I, I I studied theater. I mean, I was I was I'm the youngest son of three of you know three three brothers. Uh, I'm the youngest by like 10 years. So like the, the need for attention was very strong from an early age. <laughs> um, and so, you know, theater and, and whatnot was, was always, it was like, just, it was always on the horizon and, you know, kind of destined to happen. And, you know, I did, I did tons in high school and in, in college and then didn't do a lot, uh, out of college, uh, until I hooked up with this, this theater company, uh, that I mentioned the monkey man productions. Uh, they brought me on to play King Kong in a short play about King Kong. I stood on a stepladder and wore a mask and like proclaimed my, uh, just the, the, the nihilism of being trapped in, in civilization. Um, I also played a werewolf in a Agatha Christie style murder mystery. So, you know, that should tell you about the, so the, lots of monster roles. It's a lot of, like. a lot of monster roles. Uh, and this is the same company and the same writer of all this, uh, aside from the Lovecraft play, uh, uh Stephen Merchant or Stephen Neer wrote the Lovecraft play. Uh, but the, the writer of King Kong and, and, uh, the wolf in the fold is DJ Silvis. And they're still someone I work with and collaborate with regularly, you know, over, over a decade later where we That's do, awesome. monkey, we do uh, moon based data out. Uh, you mentioned podcasting. That's uh, the we're in the fourth season of that right now. That's our ongoing sci-fi series that we've been doing for a number of years now. And so, you know, this was a relationship that was born out of monsters and strangeness, and has continued to to play massive roles in my life. Right? You know, it's it's because of them that I ever you know donned Lovecraft's face, um, and it's because of them that I'm currently stranded on the moon. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, about the podcast. I was I was digging into that, and I, I now I need to go listen to the entire thing because it sounds dope. Sure. So this was interesting. Uh, you know, 
I left Toronto and a lot of us were kind of, who had been part of this theater company, were, were moving into different stages of our lives and where it was getting harder to do physical theater, um, finding, you know, affordable theater space and performance space and whatnot. And so DJ was interested in podcasting and thinking about podcasting. And they had this, this kind of, you know, big ambitious plan, but it was going to take a lot of, you know, producing and getting schedules wrangled and whatnot. But they wanted to at least like figure out the, like the technical side of podcasting, recording, editing, uploading, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So they came up with a, a sort of a very simple one man show, you know, that was going to be, you know, five minute episodes, 20 minute, like 20 episodes altogether, just, a you know, this very simple uh, to do. And that was moon based data out. And the, the premise is, you know, there's this, these moon bases on, uh, on the moon and that are run by, you know, big faceless corporations. Uh, and, and the current, the one that our hero is on is being shut down. And so he's offering up kind of his, uh, his communications back to earth, you know, relaying what's going on with the shutdown and, Oh, things go wrong. Um, and also trying and also sending personal messages to his husband. And so it's, you know, these very like short five minute bits where you're getting like, you know, sort of pictures of the plot and pictures of like, you know, conflict. Um, but always with this like touch of this, like, you know, we'll be together soon. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's four seasons. And as you can imagine, things have probably spiraled out a bit. Um, Hasn't uh, gotten together (laughs) that soon. It seems like. So, um, the, and it, cause, and, and, and that was supposed to be this kind of practice project and it kind of got this amazing response and became the main project. <laughs> and the other one as eventually did it happen, but, but happened much later. Um, and, and yeah, we have a big, you know, we have, you know, after the season one, we, we brought in more actors uh, to, to, to fill out the cast. Now there's like, Oh, people are interested in this. It doesn't just have to be Lehman in his living room. We can actually <laughs> get more folks involved and we've got a, a, you know, a huge cast now. And we've told been telling the story for, you know, for years and this is the final season of it. So, you know, it's, it's bittersweet that it's kind of coming to an end, but it's also great that we've been able to tell a whole story and see, you know, a response to it that was beyond anything either of us could have predicted. So I'm very grateful to DJ for, for coming up with this. Very grateful to all the folks who have joined uh, the production team and, and gone on this journey with us. And I'm excited about what comes next. I mean, that's incredible, especially especially now in in this sort of era of unfinished tales, especially in the world of like online streaming, uh, where every what probably like one in five shows on on not even one in five, probably like one in 10 are even seeing a second season at this point uh, to be able to actually tell a complete and, and heartfelt story to completion is is nothing short of an incredible accomplishment well and there is something about being able to end on your own terms right yeah like that's that's a huge part of why i i ended my you know i i retired from from lovecraft um was you know i've been doing it for 10 years and you know i i there was probably more i could have done but you know as, as i was getting older and you know had more kids and res- adult responsibilities and whatnot you know it, it was it was becoming harder to justify at the time and i would much rather have been able to kind of tie it up with a bow and sort of, you know, walk away rather than sort of feel like it, you know, the audience was walking away (laughs) and and picking up on the exhaustion and whatnot. So it's, it's, yeah, I think, you know, you, these projects and these, these endeavors that we kind of take on, um, you know, they mean a lot, but the ability to, to say, you know what, I've said what I need to say, being able to have that in your pocket, that empowered me to keep going with the show for a long time. You know, it was like when I, when I told myself I didn't have to do it was when like, I found like kind of that second wind and kept going. Um, because I think there are a lot of projects and a lot of things that folks, you know, just, you know, there's kind of a sunk cost fallacy, or you just, you're doing it because you've been doing it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, um, and, and luckily I found I was able to pivot from Lovecraft to the sort of this very strange nebulous world of TikTok with all of its vagaries and whatnot. Yep. Um, that was that was helpful. It, it was interesting. I was I was able to, you know, I, I I kind of went on TikTok and said, you know, hey guys, you know, I think I'm I have a lot of feelings about ending Lovecraft, but you know, it's it's the best thing and I'm I'm really excited about what comes next. And then literally the next like week was when Raven Queen this like, you know, thing that had like a million views, like exploded. And I, it came out of nowhere. It was like a 10 second video. I, I posted to TikTok and it like it within like, 
you know, a week had had more views than 10 years worth of Ask Lovecraft ever did. <laughs> the pivot to TikTok. Uh, from from what I understand, uh, and granted, this is from a, a a cursory Google search and finding an article about about the explosion of the Raven Queen. Uh, you were just kind of walking along one day and just had a quick a quick thought and recorded a. Well, you said it was ten seconds, uh, something like that. It was very short, and uh, out of nowhere, three plus million views and an entire persona or an entire, I guess, TikTok character or or <laughs> concept launched out of nowhere yeah the the always has been the sort of the compendium of ohio weirdness and uh it's it was an interesting moment i i i think it has come and gone uh we'll see maybe maybe there will be various revivals and whatnot but tiktok uh was very very happy with me making weird ohio content for for a good long while and uh, uh, and it was fun to do. It was a strange. It was a strange kind of continuation of this this intersection of of weirdness and banality, which has defined a lot of my creative endeavors. And and I think there's just I don't know. There's something uh, u- uniquely absurd about Ohio that that tickles people's fancy. <laughs> And so to be able to, to play up into that space and, you know, you, you know, cr- gain a platform that I can, you know, then use to, you know, talk about serious issues, talk about kind of civic engagement and things like that, uh, is, is very gratifying. And, uh, it's, I, again, I, it's, I, I, I do I mean, having, you know, sort of gauged, uh, where things are, I do, I do think that that particular moment has passed. Um, I, I think you know the, the t-shirts have sold, and uh, folks are are moving on to greener pastures. Uh, but I'm sort of okay with that because it was such an absurd thing that you know launched out of the middle of nowhere anyway. So that's you know it's not the kind of like ah oh, yes this is I'm I'm cashing out my 401k and this is this is going to be the rest of my life. It's like no, let's calm that down. Uh, <laughs> Um, it's, but it was, it was a great, uh, it was a great way to, to kind of connect with a lot of folks and to be able to, to see the potential of this space to, to, you know, be able to, you know, play and have a kind of shared weirdness, <laughs> which is, was the best part of doing Lovecraft as well was beginning to, uh, to become part of communities there. You know, the, the weird fiction community is its own strange space, but uh, you know, I, I now have some of my, my dearest friends, you know, who are writers or artists or filmmakers, you know, who all I, I only know because I, I dressed up as H.P. Lovecraft three times a week and stood in front of a bedsheet to, you know, tell strange jokes. I want to dial in a little bit on the I'm just going to say the whole Ohio thing. Uh, <laughs> part of this whole explosion uh, on on TikTok, you know, wh- whether or not. Uh, it, it, it is truly over and I, I don't want to believe that quite yet personally, <laughs> but I, I'm interested in several things here vis-a-vis Ohio. So the, the joke itself was a lot to do with like, Ohio is the place where the weirdest, where weird stuff happens. The second you cross the border into Ohio, you you're not getting out. It's, it's another dimension. It's just this weird place. I, I actually, I usually believe, I like to think that I am a memologist and I'm on the forefront of, of memory. Uh, but the Ohio is weird thing kind of blindsided me. Uh, what was the order of operations here for you? Has Ohio always been weird? Uh, or, or did you kind of see that and make something happen? Or did you start that? Like, no, what's going I, on did, I didn't start it. I absolutely didn't start it. So there have been there have been lots of like weird Ohio meme stuff out there. And some of it I think is kind of, you know, born out of I'm sure some of it's like sports related and comes from like Ohio, Michigan beef and whatnot. Um in fact, literally, I think, you know, like there's like an Ohio against the world t-shirt that spawned a lot of this, you know, from some f- sports game. Um, but there was a very particular meme, which was, you know, two astronauts staring at the earth. And instead of, you know, the regular continents, there's just like a giant Ohio. And, you know, one astronaut's going, it's it's all Ohio. And the other astronaut says, always has been. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's that's where always has been came from. You know, my, you know I use that catchphrase just because, you know, it was already I was tapping into already established, you know, Internet weirdness. And and I think I think it's because, you know, Ohio in some ways is a perfect like just distillation of Americana, you know, like Ohio is is a very diverse place with, you know, lots of different types of folks and come from lots of different backgrounds. But it's, you know. 
you know, it's, it presents itself as, as very sort of, you know, white and wholesome and Midwestern and, uh, but it's not really Midwestern, but it's not really, it's certainly not Southern, but like, there's a lot of Confederate flags around here, you know, for, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's not it's certainly not like Eastern, like it's all over the place. Like it's, it's Appalachian and in every direction it's. And so because of that, because of all these like discrepancies and, you know, inconsistencies and yet it's Ohio, right? Like there is just sort of like a yawn, even as you're saying the name, um, I think it just, it invites itself to be teased. You know, it's, it's like, you know, the, there was the other bit of, uh, internet, you know, meanness, which was the Ohio isn't real, mm-hmm. which is very much, you know, again, I'm the youngest brother, you know, very much the, the, uh, you know, having your older brothers pretend that you're invisible for like a week, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, just forever. So I think, so yeah. So I think there's just something about Ohio that, that lends itself to being teased, lends itself to not being taken very seriously. And, you know, I, I tapped into that with, you know, this idea that there are all these sort of strange things that, but that's sort of everyone knows about, of course, everyone knows about the, the Raven queen and the, the, the blue door and, and, you know, things like that. Um, and, and that was what, and I think, I think it was that response people had to it. You know, when I posted that video, you had people being like, wait, what's the Raven queen? Is this related to that? Like Netflix, like ever after show what's happening. And then you had other people being like, oh yes, my grandfather told me we will never forget, you know, always has been like, you know, people were buying into the gag and, yeah. and, and running with it, you know? Uh, and that, that really is what, when I was seeing that, when I was seeing people like, accepting the invitation to play in this space, I was like, okay, this is, this is why this is doing well. And cause I think, I think, you know, the internet is a, is a space for a lot of shouting and a lot of posturing and a lot of just kind of general unpleasant, what have yous, but the opportunity to just play in something frivolous and dumb and weird and just a little sinister um, you know, safely sinister. Um, I think that that's very, that's very comforting. It's very fun. And I'm happy to provide that, um, even for a moment, um, and, and hopefully inspire other weirdness. Uh, and I've seen, I've seen other folks run with it and do similar stuff. People created really fun fan art for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's, you know, to tie it all back, you know, Lovecraft's greatest legacy is not really, his stories and his monsters. That's, that's certainly part of it, but it was the connections that he made with artists and writers. And it's something that gets really overlooked. I overlooked it myself until I began reading his letters and seeing how connected to an ecosystem he was. You know, he was not like, I think there is this image of Lovecraft as this sort of solitary genius who's locked himself away in his attic, you know, scribbling, you know, his, his fever dreams about Cthulhu and Yogg-Sothoth well, and whatnot. that's just me, actually. <laughs> Precisely. That's just Tuesday. But, but in reality, you know, he was hanging out in coffee shops and like, you know, arguing with folks about, you know, Poe and, you know, getting into all sorts of like debates and discussions and people were write would write him letters out of the blue. And he would then forward those letters on to other people and be like, oh, you know what? You need to talk to this artist because I think they'll be able to help you with your story. And like he he was the, you know, I, I, I use the image of the, like the webmaster or the, you know, the, the forum moderator. He was the guy linking people together. The original Discord mod. Precisely. And, and that's at odds with. I think any, you know, most people's thoughts about Lovecraft, you know, whether you hate him or you idolize him, you know, folks try to, they strip away that humanity and they strip away that connection to that sort of um, literary eco- and artistic ecosystem that he was a part of, he, I, you know, arguably a very important part of because of the sort of the careers that he helped nurture and, and push forward and the ways those careers informed you know, a lot of 20th century literature and horror and speculative fiction and science fiction and whatnot. But it is very, it's, it, it's, it's about that interconnectedness and it's about that creation of ecosystem and that nourishing of ecosystem. And I think all too often we we're, we're looking for, you know, great, important people doing great, important, singular works of art and science and industry and that's just not the reality. The reality is it's yeah. lots of little people that you never heard of who are all tinkering away and creating everything around you. What you said about him, like sort of like connecting and sending letters back out and creating these networks is, 
I mean, it's not really different than the internet now. It's just we're doing it at massive, unprecedented scale and over instant message instead of mail delivery. <laughs> the first thing that came to mind when you said that was like, was me being like, damn, I kind of, I kind of wish that mail was the only way that people could communicate with me from afar, actually. I mean, I got to tell you, there is something about just sitting down to write a letter. There's like a handful of folks who we have made the conscious decision to like, you know, write a physical letter yeah. back and forth. And it is like, it is a whole other thing. Like, you know, you are creating an artifact, you are connecting, you know, through time and space in a way that is is very different from an email is very yeah. different from an instant message and you again and at the end of the day you've got something that could in theory survive past your death if you're lovecraft like that's how we know him you know warts and all is because folks took his letters and saved them and put <laughs> and then eventually those got put into books uh for uh p- pasty actors to pour over to try to find content yeah, I'm not looking forward to like the era of history where it's like, oh yeah, this famous person, here's their email dump <laughs> or like here's their here's their Facebook export. Oh man, yeah, precisely, right? Like just the giant biographies filled with tweets. I mean, that's just going to be oh, that's just that's just a nightmare waiting to happen. We've talked for a little while about about Lovecraft, TikTok, all that good stuff. Uh let's let's sort of like pivot over to what I assume is another very different part of your life, which is the the political side. Uh, so you are a a literal mayor. I am. If I'm I am to the, understand correctly. I, <laughs> I am the the mayor of my college town, which is a, a a strange, like I said, sort of circular way of of you know finding yourself. But yeah, I you know we, my wife and I met here in this uh, small Ohio village. Uh, when we went to college here and then we went up and we're living in Toronto for about a decade. And while we were there, we were always joking about how like the only thing that would make us want to come back to the States was, oh, I don't know if we could get a job in Gambier. And sure enough, she's a priest and the church here was looking for a priest and she was hired to 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 come serve here. And so we packed up our little family and came back. And a few short years later, I just because I'm a professional busybody by nature, I found myself <laughs> in municipal politics and eventually ran for mayor and now we're like a PBS murder mystery from 1984 the church and state you know like we're running around causing all sorts of trouble I feel like that's got to be your next step right is like <laughs> retirement should look like there's a there's a bar uh that I used to go to that has since closed down that was called church and state oh, so there there's there's a hole in the market if you wanted to <laughs> take that back up uh but yeah so I did I did a, a bit of searching on the old the old Wikipedia um, uh, for, for Gambier. Is it Gambier? It's, it's Gambier. Yes. Gambier. Uh, so the town in 2020, the population was 2,213. So that's, that's including students. That's including students. <laughs> so when the, when the students go away, we are a much smaller, uh, much smaller crowd. And I got, I got elected in 2019 and started serving in January of 2020. And a couple of months later, <laughs> Suddenly, uh, what my, uh, you know, with COVID and whatnot, you know, we were literally like wondering, like, am I going to be the last mayor of this town? Like, is you know, because we had no clue what was going to happen with you know, so many other schools were shuttering with COVID and with other you know financial issues. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, uh, the the colleges rebounded, and it does not look like I will be the last mayor. Um, but but yeah, well, what did that it, what did that look like for you uh, going into this position? into such a ridiculous, like unprecedented situation and not knowing what the future of your town would be. Yeah, precisely. You know, we didn't, we didn't know. And, and we were, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, keep our residents safe and trying to work with the college to make sure that when classes did resume and if students did come back, you know, it was able to happen, you know, safely. Um, You know, we were, we're really trying to partner with our, our, our county to, you know, try to help businesses that were, you know, suffering. It was, there was a lot. I mean, it was a lot of moving pieces and trying to, to coordinate and, and I'm being brand new <laughs> to it. Uh, uh, I was mostly trying to keep out of people's way. The shared like challenge bringing us all together began to, you know, turn into the sort of the partisan fights and ideological fights over, you know, how to respond to things and how, to, you know, do we take this seriously and or, you know, is this all a hoax? I mean, it just, you know, we had to, you know, find ourselves making policy decisions, you know, questions about masking. You know, that's been probably my most controversial uh political, <laughs> um, you know, issue to, to handle. And I was the face of it for a lot of the village. And it was, um, yeah, it was a lot. Uh, it's funny, you know, uh, 
you know, you, you know, you talk about it in contrast to to Lovecraft, but uh, during the sort of the hardest period of the kind of the controversies over masking and and whatnot, uh, one of my villagers, this this very kindly retired professor, sent me this wonderful note, you know, you know, thanking me for the stuff I was doing and and you know, wanting to let me know that I had support even when there was a lot of angry voices kind of shouting at me. Uh, and in the midst of that letter, he said, "I take comfort in knowing that your time spent with the monsters of H.P. Lovecraft have prepared you for this moment <laughs> and the forces arrayed against you." Uh, and it was so. It was I. I it, it came out of nowhere. I was not expecting this kindly old man to to, to quote some Lovecraft at me. Uh, but it was uh, it was absolutely pitch perfect. And and yeah, you know, politics is a, is an interesting world because you talk about ecosystems and you talk about you know collaboration. Like that's that's a hundred percent of of what I do is try to link people together is try to make sure folks who are, you know, talking about each other, you know, are actually talking to each other. And that can be a challenge and, you know, uh, sort of seemingly simple and, and minute details can create a great deal of conflict and, you know, being able to, to sort of see that coming and to address them and to get some degree of consensus, or at least if, you know, there's not, not complete agreement, there's not just folks completely kind of breaking apart. Um, it's, uh, it's a big part of the job and it's, it's not one that, uh, it's one that educates me every, every day. So a, lo a lot of people talk about when, when people get very nihilistic about politics and when people get very like, you know, voting doesn't matter, it's all decided anyway, like a lot of the times they're just thinking about president, right? They're just thinking about the once every four years you, you vote in the one election and doesn't matter. And then of course the follow-up to that on the other side typically is, get involved in local politics and be active in your local community, uh, which I mean, quite, quite directly, that is, that is what you have been doing, even at even at whatever scale you might want to do it at. Um, has that proven to be effective? Uh, like, so sort of like so far in your experience, do you, I don't, I don't want to ask, do you feel like you're making an impact? But do you <laughs> feel like you're making an impact? <laughs> I, do, I, you know, I do. And I, I, I think part of it is just, you know, growing up is learning, the various areas where a grown up is not going to come do a job for you. Like, mm -hmm. like a grown up is not going to come fix something or do the thing you expect to get done unless, yeah, you, on that. unless you are that grown up, right? Like someone, and that's, that's what happened, you know, with a lot of this stuff was, um, you know, n no one else was running. <laughs> like I ran, you know, like I, ra I ran on a post, you know, because no one else was, was going to run for mayor. And I thought, well, someone has to do it. And, and, you know, looking at what March of 2020 looked like, there were a lot of different, you know, different personalities would have responded to that in very different ways. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I we saw that <laughs> I, for sure. And I don't, you know, so I, I can't say, you know, uh, I, uh, I can't, sp I can't speak to hypotheticals as we used to say in the standardized patienting field when I uh, would fake uh, illnesses for med students. And so <laughs> Yeah, it's it's I, I do think it matters. I do think the personal matters and you know how you connect with people. Do you connect to people? You know, that's a that's a huge question mark. <laughs> and and yeah, as we're seeing with, you know, national politics, you know, state politics, you know, th this idea that like, oh, well, they 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 wouldn't do that because that's not done is not a is not a safety rail. Like like if if no one stops someone, they will do whatever they want. Yeah. And so, you know, who you have in in different positions, what their temperament is like, I think is is incredibly important. I mean, you know, when I when I got elected, one of the first things I did was Google uh, Ohio mayors indicted because I was curious to see like what like what's like what do folks get in trouble for? And the scary truth was how hard it was to remove bad mayors. Like I was finding just horror stories of folks who were absolutely committing like embezzlement and like and and were you know giving public uh, you know funds to family members and you know doing all sorts of shady land deals and we're still mayor. <laughs> and so, so you did that research so that you could also follow through. I mean, and I mean you know, so far the temptation has not uh, proved that strong, but I was, again, I was mostly curious, like, you know, what's like, if something, you know, what's the dumb mistake someone makes that then, you know, what, you know, gets them in front of the newspaper. Um, that was more what I was concerned about. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's funny being at the sort of the small level of government that I am like, you know, I, I get, you know, every person in Ohio politics gets this, you know, be sure to do your financial, you know, statements and, and, you know, declare this, that, and the other. And I always like try to respond and, and they're like, 
your town is too small. We do not care. <laughs> Please stop calling us. <laughs> you could literally get away with whatever you want. I mean, again, it's it's you know there there are there are indeed methods of removal in place, and luckily I can't go crazy. And also, like, I, there's not a lot I do. Like, right? I can't. I can't. I don't vote on anything. I can break ties when council votes. Um, and I, you know, I appoint various people, but you know, at, at the level that I'm at, you know, the mayoring is, is much more, it's like being a game master of a D and D crowd and just trying to like keep everyone at the table from like yelling at each other and like make sure everyone's like getting their correct you know, amount of time and initiative, uh, moving things along. You know, I, I, things that prepared me for, for mayoring are definitely, you know, getting a teacher, getting a teacher degree, uh, in master school and, uh, you know, in, in grad school, uh, you know, imp- improv skills, you know, being able to, to, to control my facial expressions when people are talking <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and, and playing lots and lots and lots of Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, that's important because, uh, so when you, when you originally said that it's like being a, a DM for Dungeons and Dragons, um, uh, my first thought was, yeah, you know. Try to kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's if uh, uh, I'm basing it on paranoia. Then, um, oh yeah, 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 or or Call of Cthulhu. You know, what is the sort of like extent of of your powers as the mayor? Like, what is is there anything out there that like you you could do and haven't done? I'm sort of specifically thinking like, could you just like rename the town if you get <laughs> bored one day? I, I no, I think I imagine there's there's a fair amount of that goes into that. Um, you know, our, our community is what's called, uh, a, um, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to completely forget the term, but essentially like we're, we're, a Ikea, very like, you know, out of the box kind of corporation municipality, you know, we're, we're, it, we're the bog standard version of, you know, the kind of the rules we have to follow, the number of people we have on council, the number of years they serve, how the mayor operates, how he relates to different offices and whatnot. There are, uh, there are municipalities that can create a charter and the charter does allow them to essentially like write the rules and they can go nuts. Like you can have (laughs) no mayor, you can have 16 mayors, you know, like there's, there's, you know, folks are able, you know, like they can't, you can't be like murder is, is now legal in murder town. Um, (laughs) But like, like they can, they can do all sorts, like you can do all sorts of business and, and, you know, Ohio has what's called sort of a, a very strong home rule doctrine. So municipalities, uh, townships are able to, to, you know, kind of write their own rules and, and, and operate as they like. Uh, but uh, so far, our, our little community is, is, is happy to just sort of, you know, uh, be, be r- running by pre-generated uh, standards. <laughs> so does this, mean, does this mean that you're not going to be okay with me titling this episode, Murder is Legal in Murder Town? <laughs> it's, you know what? Anything goes in Murder Town. So Anything I say, goes. I mean, <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you have to lose? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so Ohio, right? Ohio is currently... Uh, especially after the most recent election, deeply red. Uh, aside from, I believe, one senator, uh, virtually everything else is is hard red. You've you've not been quiet about direct the direction that you think that the you know, country at large, but also Ohio and everywhere, should be moving. What just like what's your first of all? Just like what's your general take on on where we are right now, where Ohio is right now, where what. Is this a, a, you know, Ohio flips back and forth quite often in terms of presidential election, but yeah, where's that trajectory moving in your eyes? So Ohio Ohio was, we used to be called a bellwether state, you know, folks would say, you know, as Ohio goes, so goes the nation. And that's not the case anymore. Ohio has, has become more and more conservative, um, statewide and, uh, you know, and a lot of that is demographic. A lot of that has to do with sort of the sorting that takes place. Um, you know, so, you know, Columbus has become this massive, you know, massive, big central, uh, part of the, the state, um, population wise and, and, you know, and the big cities, you know, are, are fairly progressive, you know, your Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, um, but the rest of the state, uh, has, 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 you know, a lot of the rural areas, uh, continue to become sort of more and more conservative. And then, yeah, and I think just a lot of folks have left Ohio, 
uh, is, is another big part of it. Um, and, you know, we, we have, you know, our current governor has had his whole, you know, come to, you know, find it in Ohio. Hey, you tired of, you know, bring your big New York energy to Ohio and like, you know, Hey, California, like, uh, beat the traffic and come to Ohio. And it's like, well, yes, that's nice, but you've got this incredibly gerrymandered state house that is determined to just go hog wild. And, you know, we've seen that just in the last few weeks, right? Like the Republicans dominated the state house. They have a very clear majority. They won. You think they'd be happy, but they're tearing each other apart because the wrong, like, like, you know, the, the, the wrong Republicans are now like in charge because they sort of agreed to, to kind of work with some Democrats and, and, and that's not acceptable. Like if it's not a complete total humiliation, then it's, then the victory doesn't count. And so like, it's just, you know, this is what folks are seeing. This is what young folks are seeing, young, ambitious, um, you know, folks who would, you know, might've thought about Ohio at some point and now are thinking, ah, you know, this is, this is not a great place. If you're interested in reproductive rights, uh, if you're interested in voting rights, if you're, you know, just, it's becoming, uh, you know, one of those, one of those places where dark money and a lot of special interest groups just have their thumb on the scale and, that's that has impacts and yeah you know so i'm in a i'm in a small village that's you know a college town uh it's it's a bright electric blue dot in a very red county and and there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges with that you know if you if you believe in progressive policies if you you know support um a lot of you know progressive values and and ideologies uh then yeah ohio's a very difficult state to be in it's not impossible to be in uh you know like there's there's give and take and you know there are there are opportunities for working together or making things less bad <laughs> and we just you kind of have to roll with them right and i think for a lot of folks uh you know when stuff gets hard and stuff gets bad then they kind of look for greener pastures and ohio is not that that green green pasture for a lot of folks uh hopefully that will change hopefully you know we'll sort of see folks who are are interested in in kind of stopping the tide of extremism uh and and to some degree you know we, we're seeing glimpses of that right i mean that's what this this kind of fight in the state house represents is kind of yeah. for some folks they're like oh like i'm okay with low taxes but like you guys really hate trans people and like <laughs> and are are really all head up on on like what shoes m&ms wear and that's not quite where we are right now so we will see the, the the classic the classic joke is oh you know conservative views are being censored and it's like well what what views are they censoring your <laughs> your desire for lower taxes or or what you know the ones we mean yeah uh, I'm curious I have so many questions I'm curious um, from your vantage point and from being within you know within the system so to speak. Given the current state of things, and and you know, there's the the tiniest bit of 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 light at the end of the tunnel to some degree with the not extremist being being chosen as speaker. Do you see a way out within the current parameters that we're working in? Like, do you see a a path towards uh, a resolution from this extremism that we're currently seeing? From within our system, um, I, I mean, it really will depend on on what folks are able to to organize themselves to create uh, to see, you know, what you know. You talk about local local involvement, right? You know, one of the areas that we've seen an incredible amount of coordination by folks, I think, with not the best of intentions, is school boards. Right? School boards have mm -hmm. been targeted; they have been attacked; they have been you know, turned into you know just these these crazy just you know, fun houses of just nightmarish bonkerness. And part of that is to kind of, you know, spread certain, you know, agendas and, and get your policies in place. But the other part is to make them so intolerable for, <laughs> for rational people who, you know, might've thought about, Oh, you know, I'm retired and I'm, I'm thinking of maybe going on the school board and I've got a, you know, an education background and I have some ideas like I'm not going to go somewhere where I'm going to be screamed out about being a groomer for three hours a month. Like, why would I do that? I can go golfing. Um, and so, you know, it takes, it takes work and it takes, you know, it takes organization and being aware that these are like 
tactics that are being deployed against you. Like this is not an organic, you know, group of concerned parents that, you know, are, are worried about what's happening in our schools. No, we, we know where the money for these folks is coming from. We know yeah. like these, you know, we see the cookie cutter <laughs> elements of this, you know, across the country and they can be pushed back against. They can be, you know, you can organize as well and find candidates and prepare them and let them know, look, you know, these are the challenges you're going to face. But, you know, we've seen that happen in other states, right? Where, you know, we, it looked like we were going to see this wave of school boards get taken over and then no, that was actually stopped because people thought, you know, this is going too far. And so, you know, that, that, but that kind of work, that kind of, you know, being willing to do the unsexy work of showing up of, you know, attending, you know, meetings here and there, putting out folding chairs, you know, volunteering to do the photocopying, um, it's, it's, it's hard, but it's not impossible. Right. I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen what's happened in Georgia. We've seen what's happened in, in Mich Michigan and Pennsylvania. I mean, places that have seen a severe amount of, of gerrymandering, uh, you know, Wisconsin is doing an amazing fight despite the hardships that they have to deal with. No, oh, yeah. Um, you know, nothing is impossible, but it takes work. Right. And I think this is, you know, goes back to that question of the grown up, right? I think a lot of progressives assume there is a mom who is going to at any moment show up and fix things. And, you know, there's a manager that, you know, can be called or the, you know, the teacher will see that your hand has been raised and come over and stop the wedging. Um, but at some point we, you've got to be that grown up and you've got to say, okay, what do I, you know, I'm here. What do I do? And listen to the folks who've been doing the work. That's the other side of it, right? I think there's a lot of progressive folks who want to reinvent the wheel and they want to be the hero and they want to, you know, you know, start the organization that's going to, you know, save the world. And there's a lot of usually <laughs> tired old women of color who have been doing that work and setting out the folding chairs and doing the photocopying uh, for the last 40 years. And they know what to do and they need, they need some, some more, uh, you know, shoulders at the wheel. And that's, I think if we can get more folks to realize you don't have to be a hero, you don't have to reinvent things and you don't have to give into despair, right? That's, you know, you talked about the kind of the nihilism of nothing matters mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, they're all sides are equally to blame and like, yeah, like all sides are problematic and all sides, like there's stuff that, you know, I was just talking to my daughter tonight who was asking like, what's a Democrat? I'm just like, well, let me tell you about, <laughs> about the Democrats. Um, let me tell you who the Democrats were and who the, and, 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 and how through hard work, the Democrats got better, but not perfect. Certainly. Um, and, and all of it takes work and all of it takes focus. And, and as you said, not just showing up once every four years, um, and not even just, you know, not even just showing up at elections. Elections are very important, but being aware of what's happening in your community, being aware of just, you know, what's happening down the street, right? You know, being, uh, we were having a, a two hour meeting last night. That's all about our zoning code. And that's, you know, I think, you know, most of your listeners just like, yeah, their brains shut down when I mentioned planning and zoning, but you know, like one of the big conversations we're having is about Airbnbs and short-term rentals and what the impact they have on the housing market and the, you know, what they mean for folks who are trying to find housing who can't because it's now someone's uh, sort of rental property. Yeah, for, I mean, that's and, huge. And, and it's, you know, when, when Toronto has been so vastly changed because of Airbnb, you know, when we were young and were able to live there and we had friends who were actors or grad students, you know, they were living in the little hole in the wall places and the basement apartments and attics and whatnot. And those spaces are not there anymore. They are Airbnbs. They are, you know, being rented out to, to folks who are wanting to see the CN tower or, you know, uh, it, and, and we make use of it. It's like, it's not, you know, we're, we, we're part of the problem and we are uh, complicit uh, in this system. But, you know, that's, you know, those kind of issues, those policy issues are handled very locally, right? You know, our, our village could outright ban Airbnbs or we could, you know, completely just, you know, raise the door and say, hey, do whatever you want. Thing. Yeah. You know, you talk about like what differences can you make? Like those little small things, you know, how you handle uh, issues related to the environment, right? How you, you know, really, you know, there's a lot of small communities that, you know, are, you know, blocking the development of uh, solar and wind. And there's other communities that are sort of, you know, racing to with arms wide open to try to embrace this technology. You know, that that's happening, you know, not, you know, Joe Biden isn't deciding where a wind farm goes. Uh, that's, that's happening at your County commissioner. You know, do you, do, do folks know who their County commissioner is? Do folks know like how power is organized around them and, and the power that they have to, to kind of go up and ask questions and push and make phone calls and find the folks who have been folding, uh, folding the chairs and doing the photocopies and finding out ways to, to really make their voices heard. You know, immigration is something I'm really passionate about. 
And it's it's something that, you know, it requires national, state and local organization and coordination to kind of address. Getting involved with the people who know what needs to be done. It's one of the it's one of the most important things that I I am trying to convey to everyone that I can right now, which is that I am a a, a very left leaning person on the Internet. There's a lot of very left-leaning people on the internet. Uh, there are very few left-leaning people who are t- going from the internet to getting directly involved. And among those who are, a lot of them are, are thinking like, I can solve this because of my my skill set, blah. I'm going to fix the world through that. I'm a good either like like social media influencer or I've got some kind of following online. I'm going to, to, to make, you know, make waves in the political world. But that's not the case. There are existing activists and people with experience, as you said, who largely are women of color who have been cast aside for lightning rod uh, personalities on the internet. Offering quick solutions and and easy ideological, you know, sort of feel goods, right? Like, hey, you're going to have to do some work and be uncomfortable and keep your mouth shut while other folks are talking is not an amazing recruitment. Uh, <laughs> it's really not slogan, but it's, it's, it is the truth. And it is the sort of grown up thing that, that again, you, you, folks have to have their own come to Jesus moment of realizing, Oh, like I can, I can just be here and be helping and not be in charge. And like you do that long enough and you have any degree of competency and oops, now you're in charge and <laughs> good, good luck. Your, so, uh, your, your population density. Uh, is about one to one per square mile uh, as, as is population. So my question to you is, what are your expansion plans uh, with or without <laughs> aggression? Well, you know what? There is, uh, there, 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 we have the ability to annex. That is, uh, in fact, someone brought that up. You can a, annex places? We, we can, we can, we absolutely can. Uh, there was someone brought that up last night because, uh, so the way Ohio operates, you've got municipalities. So you have towns and villages, cities, you know, sort of all around. And then there's this kind of, interspace between them the in-between and those are the townships and the townships are they're not cities but they are like they're governmental agencies people they have trustees that people vote on they make decisions you know like here in gambier we don't run our own fire department the fire department is owned by the township and so you know we get a lot of calls about it because it's in the village and people want to know you know why things aren't running and we're like oh we'll have to forward you (laughs) on to these other guys Uh, and like what um and and it's very confusing because you've got like these weird overlaps, like in some cities, like the townships and the and the and the you know municipalities, like they border each other and they they in completely separate spheres. Here we overlap, so like there's this this square that goes around the village called College Township, and everyone who lives in the village lives in College Township, but not everyone who lives in College Township lives in the village, and it leads to all sorts of like administrative, like all right, hey, we got your mail and kind of situations. Um, and, and one option that is continually sort of slid across the table for consideration is creating the mega village by merging with the township and, and you know, suddenly becoming this much larger municipal space. Um, so far, we've not taken that up, but it's good. It's good to know that like mega village is on the table. I like, first of all, I like the name mega village. I like the, I like that term. Uh, second, it makes me deeply happy to know that the guy who's doing funny Ohio memes on TikTok can annex locations. That makes me really, really happy. I, I, I do believe they have to be mutually con- uh, consenting annexations. I don't. Uh, I, details. <laughs> uh, <laughs> last question that I have uh, at least pre-written for you is: uh, so you you do as we've said in the in the outset podcasting youtube you've you've done theater you're a mayor uh lovecraft impersonation uh all all sorts of stuff it's a hell of a lot of hats which of those hats is the hardest to wear uh the the one you didn't mention which is my main job uh parenting two small children that sounds difficult that's 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 you know my my fault that literally yeah of all the things that i do that is the one that takes the most hours and has the 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 most implications uh for society at large keeping these 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 children from from unleashing their full potential to destroy large swaths of the midwest uh you know that's i'm the inert carbon rod standing between all of you and destruction i I was as you were describing uh you know holding back the children my only thought was i mean 
mean, that just sounds like being mayor. I mean, you know, I, parenting is also a very useful uh, thing for, you know, l- you know, l- listening patiently. Someone is sort of, you know, shouting at you. Also retail, dear Lord, people, <laughs> more people, n- more politicians need to have worked in retail. Like, I mean, our yeah. country would be so much better if, you know, you had folks who, you know, were, were accustomed to someone, you know, drunkenly refusing to leave your bar or like shouting at you about why this paperback copy of The Hobbit is is not on sale like it says on the poster. That was Those Mar- are very – that, that, that was, was absolutely that, happened. That was Margaret Atwood. She did that to me. So oh, um, that's my that's my can-con for the, for the, <laughs> for the show, getting, getting yelled at by Margaret Atwood. Um, but no, I mean, being yeah, be, like that – man alive like retail like the retail skills come into play every day in politics so i'm just saying folks think it's oh. up, folks think they don't have the skills or the education or whatnot dear lord please we need you what is what is the hardest that you've ever been yelled at what was oh. it for oh man well i got uh so when when the whole uh, masking thing went down uh, I was, uh, I, I decided to take a walk in the woods with my, with my son just to get away from the, the, the heat and anger. Uh, and I got a call on my mayor phone cause I have a very specific mayor phone that, you know, comes the mayor phone. Uh, yeah. it's, it's my, it's, it's my, if I get subpoenaed phone, it's the one I get to turn in. So <laughs> it's, the, it's the subpoena phone. So, uh, I get a call from, from someone, a parent, uh, of the local elementary school. that's very upset about his child having to wear a mask and, and demands to see me in the streets. I literally got called out into the street. <laughs> Dude I, wanted to fight you? Guy was just like, I want to see you face to face. I need to see your face. I'm like, well, I'm currently in the woods. So give me half an hour and I will meet you. <laughs> and and then, yeah, I proceeded to, to show up. A friend was nearby. So I was able to like hand my small child over to them so that the child would be safe during this exchange. And uh, I, yeah, proceeded to have someone explain to me how uh, masks are don't work and they're uh, a form of abuse. And I only am forcing children to wear masks because I get off on it, which is a very specific fetish. Uh, but I was able to... to full retail face be like oh yes i can understand why that would be frustrating to you um and uh injured but yeah that was uh that was a that was an intense time did he essentially just walk away eventually pretty much pretty much well once he saw that i was not going to rise to the bait i wasn't going to be like well i'll have you know like you know i'm like no like i do indeed love (laughs) abusing (laughs) children by making them wear me ah you, Mister Mixoplitics, me um, melt down into the asphalt. But but yeah, like I was just like you know, based on CDC guidelines, it, it was you know he was completely like I was I I bored him, which is a good way to get things done in uh, politics. It's just sort of it's an extremely good defense mechanism. <laughs> is boring people away from you. I I I don't know which way to go to get out of here. Well, it's an infinite gazebo, so. You just close your eyes and hope. When you say close your eyes and hope, is it a close your eyes and hope and it might work? Or is it like, do I need to specifically envision a way out? Mm, or Only one way to find out. Okay. Well, un- unclear if I'm going to be able to get back to my computer to edit this episode anytime soon, but I'm going to try my absolute best. But in the meantime, thank you so much for, uh, for chatting with me here today, tonight, whatever time it is that... The cosmos stretch out into the infinite within this gazebo, which frankly is disconcerting. All the best gazebos are. Uh, But before I go, uh, I just wanted to ask if there is anything that uh, any potential listeners, if I do manage to find an internet connection somewhere in the gazebo, uh, might be interested in to to find you elsewhere or stuff that you've been up to. Sure. The uh, best place to find information about me is at lehmankessler.com. That has links to all my ongoing projects. Uh, whether the uh, Moonbase Data Out podcast, uh, TikTok, Twitter, all those various spots, uh, I'm, I'm blogging. Blogs are back, baby. So blogs are back. You know, we're 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 back to the blog. Uh, yeah, LeemanKessler.com is going to be uh, be the best landing page for you. Bookmark it. Add it, to, add it to your web ring. Uh, you just threw me. You just said web rings, and you just threw. There are no. Me. There, wow. There's no. There's no. I promise you, no under construction uh, gifts. The little. The Any little, flash intro? There's no. There's no uh, frames. Um, Extremely good. Do you have mid- midis playing in the background <laughs> when you load it up? <laughs> if only, man. One day. Absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you again, and I'll. Uh, is it? Is this north, or is this south? Oh, we don't have cardinal directions here. We have. Raven. 
directions. Oh, God. 